0: when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bellotti, hope you guys are all doing well. And my fellow Taylor Swift fans out there who are trying their darndest to get tickets to the Eras tour, I am right there with you. As I'm recording this, I have my one window where I'm recording and my other window where I'm sitting in the queue. Like I can see both windows at the same time. And you best believe no matter what thought I'm in the middle of while I'm recording this, I will be exiting that thought and buying tickets as soon as I possibly can, because this has been the most stressful week just trying to get tickets for this show. I mean, I know it's like been a very highly publicized, hyped up tour. There's a lot of new Taylor Swift fans since the pandemic and since she's performed last and like the Lover Fest of it all. And like a lot of things have led us here this point, but being a longtime Taylor fan, not getting the presale the other day was just a blow to my ego, like the verified fan presale. Anyway, whether you're a Taylor Swift fan or not, if you have one in your life, definitely be kind to the Taylor Swift fans in your life, because this week has been an absolute bloodbath when it comes to getting tickets for this darn tour. Every other TikTok I see is a a public roast of Ticketmaster and the entire system of getting tickets online and how it used to be so much simpler and all the things. And, you know, you'd think after all these years and all these huge, heavily sought after tours, like Harry Styles, Harry House, and like all these huge tours where people are struggling to get tickets, you'd think we'd have this system figured out, right? Think again. It's still a shit show. But you know, some fans I'm seeing like people posting on TikTok and like wearing their tickets that they got from the pre-sale or from hours or like just being lucky. Honestly, a lot of it is luck. Okay, when you're in these queues, a lot of it is luck, but people are like wearing their tickets as this like shiny badge of honor. Like, I have a ticket. And I'm like, you know what? Rub it in my face some more. I'm happy for you, but I'm not happy for you, if you know what I mean. You know, I'm just hoping and praying that the ticketmaster gods bless me with even just the opportunity to buy a ticket first like I don't even have that so but wasn't it just 40 years ago that people would physically leave their homes with sleeping bags and folding chairs and camp out for the chance to buy tickets to their favorite bands like in 40 years we've gone from folding chairs to texted codes and digital cues that may or may not lead you to absolutely nowhere like it could be like a dead end you know like I was seeing TikToks of people that were in the queue, that were waiting in the queue and were in there and then got kicked out or they got tickets and then they got kicked out of their cart or like stuff like that. like a Tragedy. Absolute tragedy. Anyway, I'm not trying to jinx myself, though, as I'm sitting in this queue, and I really hope that it all works out. Maybe by the end of the episode, I'll have a ticket. Who knows? We'll see. But today on the podcast, all this considered, whether you're a Taylor Swift fan or not, Whether you just like go to a concert or not, like this is interesting stuff, guys. You know, I want to dust off the history of ticket sales and pinpoint the exact moments where the train kind of swerved off the tracks and as a result made our lives today miserable and our pockets empty and the service charges just absolutely bonkers when we just want to see our favorite musicians in person. And at that, like it doesn't even need to be like super up close. You know, I just want to hear these things live. And why has it become such a shit show? Anyway, that is what we're going to talk about today on the podcast. I did so much digging and honestly, I unearthed some very interesting things when it comes to the rise of Ticketmaster and the giants like that and just how things used to be and how things got to where it is today and just all that stuff. Lots of drama, honestly. Lots of uh, band and exec drama to unpack here, which is really interesting. So sit back. Maybe you're in the queue as well. Uh, Keep your eyeballs on your queue, but listen to this episode full of very interesting factoids for you. So without further ado, let's get into it. As with really any story that I tell on the podcast, things always seem to start out simple. In the Roman era, if you wanted to buy a ticket to a performance, maybe fencing or wrestling or some sort of opera, small discs of clay were used to stamp seating details and were used as tickets. So like little tiny discs of clay. And these discs were about the size of a penny. And these were found all over the world in what is now Syria. Archaeologists discovered similar looking tokens, like pretty much the same thing that you would find in the Roman era, made of bone, some of them, either circular or oval in shape. And they were used to access ceremonial meals or religious events. So this kind of concept, the clay token, the bone token format, it was used around the world well into the mid-1800s. And on some of them, you know, one side would show the name of the theater and the name of the person, and the other side would show the year, the nights that this person had paid for, and the seat number. So pretty much a traditional or a modern day ticket, but in like a little tiny disc form. And each token was signed by the box office manager. Every single one. Honestly, it sounds like a hand cramp waiting to happen, that box office manager having to write it on the back of every token. But It wasn't until the late 1800s that paper tickets gradually came into use. So they abandoned the clay bone little circular token, and now there are tickets. And the familiar paper tickets that we have today, you know, or we've had in the past. I don't feel like I've held a physical ticket in so long, but it would have that like perforated uh, counterfoil or like ticket stub. These were developed around the late 1800s. And then once we crossed into the 1900s, the 20th century, they got a bit more fancy with colored foils, intricate borders, that sort of thing. And then by the 60s and 70s, tickets became collectibles. They became these sought after works of art that collectors would pay the big bucks for. And still today. But this was also around the time that more and more artists, performers were going on tours. The demand was getting higher. You know, people would justify spending money on something that they maybe could only get like once, you know, because seeing a performer live is so different than listening to them on a CD or a turntable or whatever, a a record, or even today listening to them on your phone, your computer, your TV, wherever you can listen to music. Like there's just something different about seeing someone live. Like it's something that You can look back one day and say to your kids, oh, I saw them live. It's an experience that you will pay for, that you will kind of go the extra mile for. You would wait outside in the rain and snow in order to get a ticket for them. Like seeing performers was becoming more of a norm. So humans, we're problem solvers. We need to solve problems to survive. And if you think about it, solving problems and satisfying needs is the bread and butter of many of our jobs like most of us for a living solve problems and fulfill needs someone who works at a restaurant you know prepares or serves food to hungry people solving a need solving a problem fulfilling a need someone that works in sales is satisfying a need of their customers someone that works in education is giving knowledge to kids that needs it like satisfying needs even when we're not working also a lot of us choose to solve problems in our off-the-clock fun time. It's just a human thing that we do, you know, playing video games, doing the daily Wordle, things like that, solving problems even in our fun time. So most of us essentially wake up each morning prepped and primed to solve problems. We're wired to fix things until they benefit us or other people. And that's kind of our mission. And it has been as long as human beings have existed on this planet. And why am I saying this? Well, There was a problem and it was solved or seemingly that was kind of where Ticketmaster, literally my life, I would give my life right now to Ticketmaster to give me a freaking ticket to heiress tour. And Ticketmaster is honestly the subject of our story today. And it was born from a need. It was born from a problem that two guys decided to solve and it has snowballed into a
0: or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's ANGI.com.
1: So Ticketmaster was started by such problem solvers, two Arizona State University staffers who were looking for a solution to a problem that they encountered when buying concert tickets. Obviously I've seen some publications call them staffers and others call them students But from my research, I found that they were both in their late mid to late 20s And at the time it was the 70s and in the 70s if you wanted to buy a ticket to a concert You would go to a specific vendor you would go to the vendor and you would wait in line or whatever you do and You were forced to select from the seats that had been given to that particular vendor Like they were assigned, this vendor was assigned tickets in the stadium, wherever it's being held, they're assigned this many tickets in these areas, and you are forced to choose from those tickets. So yeah, the seats in a stadium, they were divvied up and given to a bunch of different vendors, and if you got in line for that one vendor, you were pretty much stuck with whatever they had available from their assigned lot. So if the vendor was nearly sold out, the buyer might be forced to buy bad seats, even though better seats were still available through other ticket vendors. They just didn't go to the other ones and how would they ever know that? How would you predict which vendor is going to be the best one? Like You don't know. It's just kind of like the luck of the draw back in the 70s. So at the time, outrage and violence occasionally erupted when ticket buyers, after standing in line for hours at one place, found that the vendor was sold out or that better seats were available. Somewhere else. And it just wasn't a great system. The system also was inefficient for promoters and owners of venues who often had difficulty selling all their tickets, despite the fact that there was unmet demand. People still wanted tickets, but they just couldn't properly you know, matchmake in a way. Like get the people that want the tickets with the tickets in the right way because of all the hairiness with the vendors and everything. So back to those two problem solvers, which I realized I actually didn't name before. Uh, two guys, Peter Gadwa, who was a computer programmer, and Albert Leffler, who was a specialist in box offices. So in 1978, the two young budding entrepreneurs, they got together and they developed a solution to to the problem. They created an innovative computer program that networked several computers, like looped them all together in such a way that a person who was going to buy a ticket at a box office could quickly select from the total reserve, like every single seat available, they can see them all at once and don't have to shop around and potentially miss out on the best possible deal. When it was starting out, in fact, Ticketmaster was actually just one of many small ticket vending companies competing for. A small share of the industry So they weren't the only ones who came up with this idea But At the time, the business was very much dominated by this huge, giant company called Ticketron. So we have huge Ticketron, and then we have a bunch of smaller little fish like Ticketmaster trying to compete for part of the business. So that's something to keep in mind. Nevertheless, though, Ticketmaster, with its unique, it was unique, its computer-based vending system managed to increase its ticket sales to about $1 annually by 1981. And that amount was huge, I mean, in my mind at least, but it was still less than 1% of the. A business that was controlled by that giant Ticketron. So we have huge Ticketron, tiny little Ticketmaster in the early 80s. And you might be confused because you're like, wait a second, what the heck is Ticketron? I've never heard of that. Or you're like, wait a second, Ticketmaster is huge today. How the heck did this happen? Because in the early 80s, they were still such a small fish. What the heck happened? Well, I'm going to tell you guys. So I actually found this LA Times article published in 1985, and they interviewed Ticketron execs. So that big fish, Ticketron, they interviewed those execs about their thoughts on Ticketmaster and They pretty much like laughed and they said this, quote, I have no question that we are and will continue to be the number one company out there, said Ticketron president William Schmidt. He said that a new computer terminal that can spit out tickets in seconds will be installed in Ticketron's 700 nationwide outlets and box offices over the next two years. So they're like, we have these computerized machines that are gonna spit out tickets. This is in 1985 and that's going to continue to put us ahead all the competition and blah, blah, blah. Al DeHardin, vice president of Ticketron's Western region, said in the same article, it's impossible to measure the market, but we sell more tickets than they do. Even today, we are here to stay and we will make every attempt to acquire back the business that we have lost. So even while Ticketmaster was like, you know, taking this small little share, they're like, we're going to get them back. Don't worry. We're still going to be on top. Like, Ticketmaster's growing rapidly, but they're not a threat to us. Like, that's pretty much what they said in 1985. Ticketmaster went on to reap so much success that they acquired Ticketron in 1991. Let that sink in. Backing up just a little bit, though, Ticketmaster's rise to fame, it was kind of decided in 1982 when Chicago investor Jay Pritzker purchased it. Pritzker, he was the wealthy owner of the Hyatt Hotel chain. He paid $4 million for the entire company. Easy peasy And he revamped the company Brought in new hires Who changed the ticket selling game Like this guy named Fred Rosen Who was a super aggressive New York City businessman And he told the LA Times in 1985 That his competitors were Quote Asleep at the switch He was out for blood Pretty much Fred became Ticketmaster CEO And Ticketmaster encountered So much success with him at the helm That they acquired Ticketron in 1991 Just like we said But when Ticketmaster acquired Ticketron There was outrage amongst concert goers and performers alike. Some fans complained that Ticketmaster was raising its fees, sound familiar, and it was unfair that they had a total monopoly on the ticket industry. Promoters argued that Ticketmaster wielded far too much power and that they would certainly abuse that power to get their way And then some rock bands complained that Ticketmaster was gouging their profits with these excessive fees Knowing that the bands had nowhere else to turn and would have to pay them Responding to criticism that Ticketmaster was approaching monopoly status by the mid-1990s CEO Fred Rosen told the New York Times his critics were fueled merely by jealousy and envy 15 years ago, there was another company everyone said had a monopoly Ticketron, said Larry Salters, Ticketmaster spokesperson in the July 31st, 1994 issue of News and Observer. He added Ticketmaster did ticketing better, and I wouldn't be surprised if somebody else comes up with a better system someday. There are millions of ideas out there. It's not that tough. So, rage amongst bands working with Ticketmaster to sell their tickets rose to a head when rock group Pearl Jam accused the company of anti competitive practices and canceled its summer tour. Pearl Jam demanded that the government investigate Ticketmaster as a possible monopoly. And it, you know, it would have been easy for Pearl Jam to stay silent, to keep making music, keep having tours, to, you know, avoid taking on an entire industry, but it just wasn't in their DNA to stay quiet and do that. So you know, they actually, they had asked Ticketmaster to drop its service fees to $1.80 per ticket, each ticket being $18, but the company refused to drop the service fees to below two fifty. Pearl Jam rejected the offer and threatened to work without Ticketmaster. They planned to find venues such as fairgrounds and racetracks and things like that that were not subject to Ticketmaster's exclusive contracts, but their efforts eventually failed and their concert tour completely fell apart, and it was then that the band Filed the complaint and the Justice Department launched the investigation and all that, and a lot of drama ensued. It's very simple, said Kelly Curtis, Pearl Jam's manager. Ticketmaster said, if you don't like us, go someplace else. But we found out that there really wasn't any place else. Robert Sachs, a lawyer for Pearl Jam, said, the genius of Ticketmaster was in converting what was a pain in the neck, selling tickets, into a profit center by tacking on high service charges. If you're a stadium, that's fantastic, but who gets hurt by that? the fans. And back to that fiery personality, CEO, Fred Rosen, CEO of Ticketmaster. This guy was a fiery personality. He said, if we do have a lot of market share, guess what? We earned it. And if we earned it, that's something to be proud of. And this other unnamed spokesperson for Ticketmaster, could have been Fred Rosen, who knows He said, getting attacked by a superstar Rock band is a lot like being accused Of kicking your dog, there's a general Presumption of guilt until proven Innocent, luckily the facts were on Our side and we prevailed After an investigation, like I just said Ticketmaster didn't face any consequences And several years later in 1996, the company ended up going Public and continued to feast On all of its competitors, including Reserve America, which is an online Company that takes reservations for. Every- Everything from State Park campsites to the Washington Monument. You can buy a ticket for the monument in person and it's free. But if you buy it in advance online via the site Reserve America via Ticketmaster now, it costs $4.35. So, yeah. Anyway, let's fast forward a lot of years later. So we have Ticketmaster. Now this big fish and Live Nation, another big fish, a live events organizer, they merged in 2009. And this is notable if you guys were on Twitter today or this week and you saw AOC actually posted about the monopoly that is Live Nation and Ticketmaster together, like they have created something just out of this world. Prior to the deal, Live Nation was Ticketmaster's largest customer And the merger was met with a lot of pushback as Ticketmaster's monopoly had grown even more with this merger. Now they were really the only place to go to get tickets to thousands of live events. Bruce Springsteen wrote in a 2009 letter to his fans that, quote, the only thing that could make the current ticket situation even worse for the fan than it is now would be if Ticketmaster and Live Nation came up with a single system, thereby returning us to a near-monopoly situation in music ticketing. And his greatest fears became reality when they merged. In 2010, Ticketmaster and Live Nation merged to create Live Nation Entertainment. In a statement on Ticketmaster's page, it says, Now you have more options than ever to enjoy live events and things are only getting better. But are they getting better? Better for who? The investors and the shareholders and the bigwigs? Maybe, but certainly not for the fans. It seems like things are just getting more and more stressful. And it's like there's no other place you can go to get tickets. Like one day long ago, you could go to like many different vendors like we talked about. And yes, there's pros and cons to both approaches, but it seems like now it's like you can really only go to Ticketmaster. Recently, Ticketmaster caused controversy with its surge pricing strategy, which increases the price of tickets depending on the demand. Fans were furious when they went onto the site to buy tickets for Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band's tour and saw that they were sold for upwards of $5,000. However, the company claims that only about 1.3% of the tickets sold so far have been more than $1,000, but a lot of drama there. And now here we are sitting in queues to see the Eras tour and paying absurd service charges will it get better than this or just increasingly worse i am currently i actually had to pause recording for a second because i got through the queue for taylor swift for the Eras tour and I'm browsing the dates and I get this error message that actually let me read it verbatim what it said There is no pre-sale inventory remaining from Taylor Swift Tick's pre-sale or Capital One exclusive cardholder presale." I have a Capital One card so I was going through that way So there's no more inventory so does that mean it's sold out like I guess But I've been sitting in this queue for three hours and it finally let me through and I was like oh my god it's my turn it's my turn And then yeah which I guess isn't really Ticketmaster's fault. I don't know. I don't know who to blame here. I can't blame anyone because honestly, I'm really happy that Taylor Swift is getting the recognition she deserves. I'm sure a lot of us out there feel the same about our favorite artists getting sold out tours. Like it's huge. It's great. It's amazing. We love them. But also I would like a seat at one of those events, right? Like, and I don't want to spend $1,500 on a ticket when they used to be like, not that at all, like reasonable prices. Like, you know, I'm trying to think of like the first like adults or like old enough concert where I paid for my own ticket was Ed Sheeran. And I saw Ed Sheeran for 50 bucks. It was before he was big. People love to say that, but it was kind of like a generally pretty small arena in DC, generally where I'm from and 50 bucks. And I was right up front, like in the pit. Unreal. Anyway, I found this article from 2009, kind of Similar grain here from 13 years ago This was the opener line of this article The cheapest tickets to see Britney Spears to perform At the Honda Center in Anaheim, California On April 20th cost $36 dollars 36.50, sorry But that's not what you'll end up paying Factor in an $11.70 convenience charge $3 building facility charge And a $2.50 charge to print your own ticket at home And you're up to $53.70 47% more than the original price so, and this was 13 years ago, guys, but, like, this statistic, like, how much the service charges are, how much extra you're going to end up spending on top of that charge, like, it's only gotten worse today. Like, me, yes, granted, the Taylor Swift tour, it's highly coveted. They probably saw it coming, but they, like, no one was prepared for this. Like, everyone knew it was going to be insane. Like, even us purchasers, like, having no idea how many people have, like, registered for the presale, we knew it was going to be crazy anyway. And, yeah, it turned out being crazy. But other tours that maybe aren't as... I don't wanna say popular, but Taylor Swift's like, it's just a whole different ballpark. But it's just kinda of crazy how expensive tickets have gotten. And they started out as these little like pennies, <laughs> and that was like your ticket. And I can't imagine it was that expensive. And now, what will you pay for an experience that you will never get again? Like, I pride myself in spending my money on experiences and not things that are going to be out of style or eaten. You know, I do spend money on good food here and there, like if it's a good experience with the food, but I'm not going to, you know what I mean? It's like I like spending money on things that I will remember forever. And that is why Ticketmaster and Ticket Giants of the world can get away with this sort of treatment to fans because we will spend we will pay that because we want that experience because it's something that we will tell our kids about and especially the eras tour like there are murmurs that this might be taylor's last big stadium tour like her last big tour because she's combining all these eras personally i think this is just one final fu to scooter Braun and scott rochetta and it's like, look at me. I own all of these songs. Like, these songs are mine. I'm re recording them. These are mine. Here, I'm going to go around the world to. Just make it very clear That these are my songs And I own them And I made them Out of love And they're mine Like that's what I Am getting from this The Eras tour It's to show that She's been through so much Which she has But they're all her experiences And she owns them And like that is the message I don't see this As being her last tour I see Taylor being like A Stevie Nicks Like going on forever And continuing to perform And continuing to make music I see that for her Because the fact that she's being able to pump out Like Midnight's Like we didn't even really know She was working on that And then she like just popped it out like you know all these songs and she's really I feel like always the gears are turning in her head she's always writing she's always coming up with things so I just I don't see this being her last tour but nonetheless the Eras tour is going to be iconic like I just know this is something we'll be telling our kids about for sure so I want a ticket to that you know and it's one of those things where I've been seeing so many TikToks where people are like I don't care the price I will pay it to see this like this is my idol and I feel the same way like I've been A Taylor Swift fan since the very beginning. So it's tricky because you know you can always spend your energy, you know, complaining and hating on the big ticket masters of the world, but you're still going to give them your money because at the end of the day, you have to. There's no other option. So I don't know. But it is interesting in knowing and hearing the history of it all and knowing where we started and knowing what happened and all the drama. And there's so many pieces missing to this puzzle. Like I just gave kind of a top line. Explanation, but I have a lot of sources linked in the show notes, guys. You guys can read fully on the spiel, the deal of Ticketmaster and what it came from. But yeah, I mean, it's all at the end of the day a problem solving thing. Like if you create something, it's to solve a problem, it's to satisfy a need. Sounds simple, but you know, you just think about what matters to you and to these two guys at Arizona State University. Is that what it was? Arizona State? Yeah, I'm glad I have my notes here because I always second guess my facts, make sure I'm, you know, being factual. But yeah, I just took these two guys complaining about the pre-existing methods of getting tickets to come up with Ticketmaster and now Ticketmaster's ruining my day. <laughs> come on, Ticketmaster, give me a ticket, please. Anyway, so that's my episode, guys. Hope you all enjoyed or just, you know, we um collectively complain together and be negative. But anyway, hope you guys learned something from this. I hope that uh, if you are a Taylor Swift fan and you didn't get tickets, that you know that I'm right there with you. I'm gonna come up with a plan B or plan C, I guess, and we're gonna figure it out. And if not, like, whatever, let's be happy for the people that did get them. You know, we're trying to be positive here, but um, I'm right there with you. And if you don't like Taylor Swift or whatever, and you're like, Katie, shut up, like, just be there for the Taylor Swift fans in your life today. Okay? It's tough out there. It's brutal. It's cold. But thank you guys for listening. And I will talk to you all in another episode of Thick and Thin next Thursday. Bye.